I know that Rennie, I mean, world champion, uh, three-time world champion, Miranda Carfrey, will cut a swim short or a bike ride short in order to get her gym session done. The Triathlon Show 137. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview strength and conditioning coach Erin Carson of EC Fit Boulder on the topic of mobility, stability, and strength. As usual, we get into real specifics here, great examples plenty of them and you'll learn what exercises and methods to use for each of these three elements, how to incorporate this in your training schedule, how to structure a session if you're in the gym for example to work on mobility, stability and strength from start to finish and plenty more. But first big thanks to our sponsors. Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com provide electrolyte products to help you with your hydration and electrolyte needs. Remember that hydration is about much more than fluid and water intake. You lose a lot of electrolytes and sodium in particular in your sweat. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go and listen to episode 49 of that triathlon show where I interview Andy Blow, founder of Precision Hydration, and you'll learn everything about hydration, electrolytes, and cramping, and all those sorts of things. As a listener, you can get your first box or tube of Precision Hydration for free when you use the promo code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka is the number one brand in the world for triathlon wetsuits, apparel and sunglasses. And you only need to look at the names of the athletes that are using Roka to understand that this company produces products of the very highest standards. Some triathletes that you are probably more than aware of that use Roka are Javier Gomez, Gwen Jorgensen, Flora Duffy, Mario Mola, Lucy Charles... And many, many others in triathlon and in other sports like cycling, for example. You can get 20% off your entire order with the discount code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps on roka.com. That's R O K A.com. And if you need a wetsuit, tri suit, goggles, a swim skin, sunglasses, buoyancy shorts, or anything along those lines, this is the time to do it with this great 20% discount. So a quick introduction to Erin Carson before we dive into the interview. As I said, she's a strength and conditioning coach in Boulder, Colorado, where she runs the Easy Fit Boulder training program and also the Rally Sport Health and Fitness Club and training facility. She coaches uh, Marinda Carfrey, who is a three-time Ironman world champion. And uh, when I say coach, it's the strength and conditioning part of her program. The same with Flora Duffy, two times ITU world champion and uh, my favorite triathlete in the world, I, I would say. And also Timothy O'Donnell, who is a long course triathlon world champion, as well as plenty of uh, everyday age groupers seeking excellence in their triathlon performance. Erin is also a very handy triathlete herself, 
placing sixth in her age group at the 2016 70.3 World Championships in Maluluba, Australia. And she has multiple podium finishes over the last five years or so. Alright, let's get right into the interview with Erin Carson. So, welcome to That Triathlon Show, Erin. Great to be here, thank you. It's great to have you, and uh, this is a topic that uh, we talked about quite a few times on the on the podcast, at least the strength component, but I'm excited to dive into that and also introduce more of an, a mobility and stability element to it, because that's something that we haven't discussed quite as much, and that's sort of like your tagline, at least it's uh, quite prominent on your website. So can you give a brief overview of why all of these three elements are needed for triathletes? I think when we first started this conversation about high-performance triathlon and triathletes, for me, it was all about um, being the best possible resource I could be for the athletes that came to me first. And most triathlon fans are very familiar with Timothy O'Donnell and Marinda Carfrey. And in that conversation six years ago, we started talking about strength and we started talking because that's why they came to me because I was a, a strength coach. But I think they were pleasantly surprised when the conversation didn't start with a bunch about loading and adding a bunch of external load to them but rather the conversation with me started, how could I, as a strength coach, make their speed feel easier to them? And so we started that hashtag or that hashtag of easy speed. And the first step for me is to just recognize and understand the inherent tightness that comes from swim, bike, and run. And how we can undo some of that tightness so that the athletes get more access to what they already have uh, built through sport-specific training. And then we build layers. Um, Once we have this really good mobility um, and that these athletes feel the freedom in their shoulder joints and through their thoracic spine and in their hips, because so much of the conversation is about getting the glutes firing, Well, if the hips aren't moving, it's very difficult to get the glutes to fire, let alone to fire world class. Um, And then we can move even further down the chain, down to the feet. And and we also need to ensure that the ankles are moving really, really well. And that each landing or each time we put force into the pedals, um, there's this beautiful reaction up the body that absorbs that impact or strengthens the impact and provides the stiffness that we need uh, to produce big watts and and big speeds when we're running. So mobility is first, and and tissue care uh, goes along with that to ensure that specific tissue doesn't get tight and overworked and fatigued and thus becomes really unhealthy tissue. Great overview. So uh, we'll go deeper into that a bit later, but uh, let's give a similar kind of overview of stability. So when we went, once the athlete is moving well, and, and that's going to be specific to the individual. So 
I know that there is set standards of um, angles uh, that the that the dorsiflexion should be a certain degrees, and that knee flexion should be a certain degrees. But I think that those standards are very difficult to uh, adhere to when you're talking to somebody who's a world class athlete and produces world class results, but doesn't meet those standards. So. When it comes to mobility, we want comfort, we want speed, we want no injuries. And then once we have that, we move into stability where we want to create appropriate stiffness um, in the, the skeleton and throughout the fascial system so that, that the athlete can safely produce and absorb impact uh, that, that helps them uh, just be more comfortable at different speeds. So stability is about not is about energy uh, energy inexpensive we call it so if there's too much lateral movement in the body we call that energy expensive because energy is leaking out sideways we want to be moving forward as quickly as we possibly can and as efficiently as we possibly can so so stability just kind of takes some of those energy leaks uh, out of the system so that the athlete can just be free in their movement and stable in their movement and be reactionary and hopefully become very elastic in the way that they uh, accept and produce force. I think mobility, most people intuitively understand how, how to different ways to work on mobility, but stability can sound a bit uh, more vague, I guess. So just a couple of quick examples. How can you improve your stability? What sort of exercises are you doing? Well, we use a lot of single leg exercises and we also use a lot of single arm exercises. So to me, it's about uh, producing different challenges for the nervous system so that there's a reaction from the fascial system and the muscular system and the skeletal system um, that are that are consistent with the demands of the sport. So stability, it's a tricky one because if an athlete comes in after a long run, they typically will show me some tightness. Um, if we went right to their hips are tight when they come in after a run. And if we went right to single leg exercises um, and work stability, they would probably show me really good single leg uh, skill. But the problem with that is, is sometimes stability can hide in tightness and, and a tight athlete can stand on one foot for a long time. And they're like, this is so easy. Um, so we, we challenge stability after we've done a lot of mobilization. Um, once the athlete has all that freedom of movement, they have to learn to control it. Um, that's what we want to do with the single leg exercises or the single leg exercises and produce different challenges, um, using load coming at them from all different angles. Got it. And uh, strength, then, if we give an overview of that component as well. Yeah, so when we look at strength, and it, it's funny because a lot of people who are new to adding strength training into their regimen and their training regimen, um, they will get stronger just by just by nature that they're starting to do something and they've added a new stimulus. But when we look at the true definition of building strength, there are some acute training variables that we must adhere to. Um, and there's some skill along the way. So it's, it's really when we're talking about building strength, we're talking about four to six repetitions of very heavy load. 
And let's be truthful. It takes time for us as strength coaches to teach our athletes how to lift weights. So there's a little bit of a journey into pure strength training uh, for all of my endurance athletes. And sometimes it can take up to a year. And that doesn't mean they're not going to get stronger along the way because they will. And they're going to gain more access to what their coaches have given them, their, their sport coaches, um, when they're using wattage and speed and hill work and that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the true strength component when we are building, we typically will build that in the off season and we will ask the body to do more than we would ask it to do in the in season. So as we're having this chat today, um, we're sitting here at the end of June. Um, we're very much getting into, uh, the middle of the triathlon season and most of my goal now isn't to make my athletes stronger, but it's to keep them from losing strength. Uh, there have been some studies done uh, with professional cyclists at the beginning and the end of the season. And most of the championships come at the end of the season. And, and they like to say that whoever stays the strongest for the longest has the best chance to win those championships. And I think if we look in our sport, um, you know, 70.3 worlds come in September, um, uh, short course worlds come in September, Kona comes in October. And so we are looking right now to just really maintain a really healthy structure. We might add a little bit of force um, production, but at this point in the season, for the most part, it's up to the sport specific coach to get those athletes to, to produce more watts and more speed. And it's my job as a strength coach to just keep them healthy and, and happy and feeling good. And that's a, a great segue into, into the next topic that I want to talk about, which is how do we work these things into our schedule? And as you alluded to, that that is different in the off-season compared to in the in-season. But uh, can you give uh, yeah tell us about how, how to weave all of these things, mobility, stability, and strength, into our triathlon training program? Well, I think, you know, they're, they're the old school of thought and to an extent, a lot of young triathletes get very excited about racing a lot. And uh, I try to work around the races. Um, if somebody races a lot, then we know that they're getting that big st sport specific stimulus. Then their time in the gym for the most part might be even 20 to 30 minutes. And I think that we have to be really gentle with somebody who's racing a lot, not to over, over train them and give them too many asks of the tissue and of the body. So there, my answer, Mikhail, would be different for, for lots of different athletes, but for the people who race a lot, they just need to keep everything as healthy as possible and 20 to 30 minutes of the right things. And I'll put the right things in quotations because for the most part, that's going to be different for almost every athlete. So I have some training plans um, on an app that I use. And a lot of times people will email me and I'm really thankful that they do because I have questions. I'm like, I don't know if this program's right for you or that program's right for you. We need to find out who you are. So anybody who raises a lot should be in the gym consistently, but, but maybe perhaps for a short amount of time. For most of my pros or from my elite age groupers who are a little bit more organized and maybe have an A race and a B race, um, I can use Jeannie, um, 
Jeannie Seymour as a good example. Um, I've been working with Jeannie for a couple of years. Her sport coach is um, Jesse Kropelnicki. And Jesse has entrusted me with Jeannie's gym work. And she is in a long period before her next race. And so we actually snuck in almost a three-week strength period. And Jeannie's ranked one of the top five um, favorites for the world championships in 70.3 pro women. And for us to be able to have this three-week period to work on those four to six reps of heavy load and really give Jeannie that stimulus here in June, I think that's going to be a real advantage that'll pay off in September. So I think it's specific to the goals of the athlete, but I also think that um, people should not be in the gym longer than 45 minutes if they're training anywhere from nine to 20 hours a week. I think that would be very much too much of an ask for for most of us competitive age groupers and age groupers. And uh, so, so how would you distribute that 45 minutes among mobility, stability, and strength if those are the, if you do all of those? Or would you maybe even skip one of the elements? in? Yes. So I usually will skip the end of the workout. So to me, the and, and I say this to my athletes um, around the world via the app as well, um, I want you in the gym for 45 minutes. If you do not finish this program, in thir- in 45 minutes you you end it at 45 minutes and leave the last two or three things the programs are actually written so that the most important things that i think are important um happen at the beginning of the session so the mobility is always first and the hip openers are always first um a little bit of foam rolling and tissue care that comes even before mobility and then we work into stability as the second part of the session And then we start to add external load at the end of the session. So they'll they'll be distributed a little bit differently. Most of my programs have six to eight different workouts. And the beauty of the progression of the workouts is that each one of them has a different distribution of time allocated to each one of those topics. So the first two workouts in a program will have much more mobility than the than workout seven and eight, they'll have less mobility. And my hope, I think, is that as people progress and they, their bodies learn a lot of these new movements, that they start to feel what feels good to them. And I think humans, um, we are attracted to things that make us feel good. So if workout number three uh, led us into one of the best bike sessions of our life, we're going to hopefully look back at workout three and say, I'm going to do that one again. And, and get organized and use some of the things that I've given them as, as ideas to kind of guide them to customize their own programs. So they change throughout the program uh, based on the progression of the athlete. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, let's, I think that for many listeners fall into the category of there may be, uh, they, they, had, they don't race like all the time, not every single weekend. They maybe have a 70.3 goal race or an Ironman goal race and maybe a 70.3 leading up to it. And their training volume is, uh, let's call it 10 to 12 hours per week. I, I think a lot of the listeners fall in that category. So, right. so how would you, what would the, you have a listener like that do if uh, if you could uh, construct the yeah. program? So most of the time, if they can make the time, and um, I would have them do, hopefully, I, I call it two and a half sessions a week. So knowing that per session is 30 to 45 minutes, and 
I like to have the athletes, if possible, when possible, do their gym work directly after their hard run session of the week. So most of us will have a short interval or a tempo day. So I would like to see them get in the gym as close to the end of that run session as possible. And then assuming there's a day in between, uh, I'd like to see them hit the gym after a hard bike session. So my coach typically doesn't give me uh, interval, short intervals on the run on Tuesday and short intervals on the bike on Wednesday, although it's not out of the question. But my typical schedule would be uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays for gym. And then the half session would come perhaps at the end of my long ride on Saturday or at the end of my long run on Sunday. And I think typically the run is more preferable to me. So gym after the hard interval running, gym after the hard interval cycling. So your easy days can actually be easy. So that's one of the biggest things I think athletes change when they start working with me is a little bit typically they have more time on their off days. So they think, oh, that's a great day for gym. And I would like to challenge them to just try to relax and recover on their off days and try and sneak their gym time in on their harder days. Yeah. And for a lot of athletes that uh, may not do anything other than swimming, biking and running, two and a half sessions may seem a bit out of reach. Is that something that you find common? And in that case, do you have, uh, is two and a half the bare minimum or do you have another like step on the way? Well, you can, yeah, because I would, I would still say that gym is necessary, um, but just do 20 minutes. Um, I know that Rennie, I mean, world champion, uh, three-time world champion, Marinda Carfrey, will cut a swim short or a bike ride short in order to get her gym session done. If the, if the quality that is in your program is there, you'll recognize that pedaling for 10 more minutes or 20 more minutes um, is less impactful on your performance than, than parking the bike and getting your gym stuff done. So that your body, your machine, your body is better prepared for the next race. So preparing the body, um, you know, and it's going to be it's going to be different for some athletes. I mean, I have some some athletes that have so much strength already. We don't even add external load. We just get them moving better. Um, so that that being said, it's still going to be different, maybe for every athlete. But if you can get a twenty minute set of good mobility, good stability. And sometimes the only tool we need is a water bottle. Um, yesterday I was working with Rini at her home gym, her new pain cave. Um, and I actually used uh, a couple of full water bottles and she was sneaky because she started drinking out of the water bottle. And I'm like, Hey, this just got lighter. And she's like, what do you think? <laughs> so she kind of got me on that one, but you can use water bottles as external load and get a lot of benefit from them. Yeah, yeah. And we're so on the same page with that, like thinking of the return on time investment. And that's something that I I talk a lot with with my athletes that I coach about, like how, for example, some athletes may find it difficult to to get the time to to see a physiotherapist when they need it or or just get a massage or or sleep in. But but then it's a question of like, is this uh short run endurance run or bike really going to make that much of a difference in the big picture compared to getting that massage or the physiotherapy or in this case the gym 
no no it isn't because that's something that you do all the time so so getting these these big big wins that you can do in a short time is so much uh, so much more important and that, that gets you a big return on your time invested so so yeah, 100% agree with that yeah i think we're on I think we're on the same page for sure yeah Let, let's talk a little bit spe- uh, more specifics about how to to train the free elements so so mobility first what would uh, uh, what what type of exercises would you do and uh, and anything really that goes into working on mobility yeah so let's break it down into the and just to, the, to really make it clear there's three key areas that that I believe need to be mobile and uh, it's not even that I made this up there's a very smart physical therapist here in the US his name is Greg Cook and so I have many mentors and many teachers and and Greg Cook is a very smart physical therapist and and through his teaching I have learned um that your ankles need to move well so I will use wobble boards to move the ankle into dorsiflexion and plantar flexion I will take hang on just a second I will take um the rest of the body and stand on one foot and rotate so that the ankle can rotate down at the bottom so we're moving one knee across uh lift one knee up high and then just drive it around side to side as you hold onto the wall and that gra- that drives rotation down into that ankle um what else will I do with the ankle I will actually use a lot of hands on um tissue manipulation with my hands and working through the ankle just to add a little bit of heat on the inside and the outside of the ankle as well as the front of the ankle around the it's called the retinaculum so I'll add heat into that tissue to help that ankle move better um I'll use manual resistance and people can do that with themselves just holding onto your toes push your toes down and then pull them up and just use light resistance um to to work mobility in the ankles Um the next thing I'll work my way up the body a little bit and I will work mobility in the hips. So that typically starts with foam rolling the hips on on the front side to be proactive. And I think that's one thing that most people are very reactive with the foam roller and they're going to sit on the foam roller and it hurts. And I would say that if you had foam rolled the front side of the body and this is going to sound a little bit interesting, but I actually when I first meet somebody um try to get that foam roller they're laying face down on the foam roller and they will actually try to find their pubic bone with the foam roller and just kind of drag the skin across so when you're foam rolling muscle it's called myofascial release when you foam roll bone and skin it's called osteofascial release and so we're going to foam roll the hips the hip bones and the pubic bone on the front side of the body and just try to get the release through those bones before we start to move through the hips and I'll usually use a multiplanar stepping pattern so some lateral lunges some transverse lunges where the foot the hip opens up and you step to the back um we'll definitely use a move that I call hip to wall so hip to wall is just you're about a foot away from the wall maybe a foot and a half and all you're going to do is just bend your knees about 30 degrees like you're skiing and you're just going to turn your body and just kind of take your hip over to the wall and back and we'll do that 10 times each side and then we're going to work through the thoracic spine and we want that the rib cage to be moving so that when we get off the bike we can actually run 
with that really natural carriage of the upper body. So I do uh, some open books. So you'll be lying on your side and just put your hands together in front of your chest and just open up the chest so that your other hand is on the floor behind you. And you're just going to not let your hips move, separating the lower and upper body, move through the upper back. We also will use the foam roller on the upper back to mobilize as well. Um, sometimes we'll throw a football or a soccer ball overhead back and forth to mobilize the upper back. And I, I'm surprised sometimes, but triathletes really do enjoy throwing the soccer ball. A lot of them do come from other sports and it makes them smile a little bit. And I never underestimate, un- underestimate the power of a good smile when we're training. So Yeah. And now we're in World Cup times as well. So it's uh, it's a bit yeah. of a theme. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So just just getting really healthy movement, um, you know, even just just playing a little bit of frisbee. I have uh, Olympians that I work with who are runners who haven't played catch in years, and it's really you know even just watching them run backwards a little bit and then turn and sprint so they can go and catch a frisbee is a really way good way to just loosen up the body and and show it some playtime. All right, perfect. And uh, stability, if we talk about some some exercises for that, what would those be? You know, I think it begins with standing on one foot. It just becomes, running is a single leg event. Um, And I find it fascinating how good there, I mean, there's so many people who are so fast who cannot stand on one foot. So we stand on one foot. Um, I typically train my athletes uh, barefoot if they are healthy and they're not too fatigued. So sometimes if they come in and they've just done a lot of work um, that week, their training load has been very high, I will put them in their shoes. But for the most part, not even socks. I want them in their bare feet so that their toes can feel the the ground. Um, so first and foremost with stability is try to be barefoot. And if you, your gym doesn't allow that, just take your shoes off in between sets and and then put your shoes back on. But training barefoot and learning to be barefoot is is just really an important part of, of how we train. Um, standing on one foot and just alternating arm reaches across the midline of the body to just move the upper body, but have to stabilize the lower body. So I say that a lot in my training sessions, quiet on the bottom and a little bit noisy on the top. You want to be stable and, and quiet, not too much movement through your knees and, and feet, and and be able to just rotate your rib cage uh, freely without having too much noise down in your lower part of your body. Anything else that we can uh, can use for stability? Um, I use a lot of horizontal loading patterns. So if you picture when you're when you're doing a squat with the bar on your back or something like that, that would be a vertical loading. We're, we're giving more top down. We're helping gravity. But one of my favorite exercises is to just use a, a long band or a cable that is, we call it a horizontal cable. It's rated maybe waist height or chest height and stand on your left foot and hold that band with your right arm. And as soon as you do that, we call that an offset load. As soon as you hold on to that, um, you're controlling rotation through your entire system. So we will do a single leg, single arm, standing row, and be quiet on the bottom, and just do a rowing pattern with the opposite side, and just do a nice pull, which will strengthen the upper back, 
um, help with posture. Um, I think you and I pr- both probably agree that um, he or she who holds their posture the best in an Ironman has a very good chance of winning. Yeah. Um, posture is really, really important to me. And uh, so that's a very good postural exercise. It mimics the rotational force of a landing, but it doesn't add additional load top down. I'm very careful with my athletes how much I add load vertically because they already have to deal with that so much with when they run. Um, so we do a lot of horizontal loading patterns, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, it does. And uh, and finally, for the strength component, what type of work do you do there? Well, my favorite strength exercise is any exercise that the athlete likes. Um, and most people like things that they're good at. So I know a lot of people like pull-ups. Um, it's not my favorite exercise, uh, especially for endurance athletes. And I watch a lot of them you know, think that that's going to make a difference in their, in their performance. But you're constantly, when you're starting to add enough external load that it's considered true strength training, um, you start to bring in risk and, and you never want to hurt yourself in the weight room and compromise your ability to go out and swim, bike, run. So I, I find that my favorite exercise and the athlete's favorite exercise if I had to only pick one, it would be that hex bar deadlift and the hex bar, or some people call it a trap bar. You step into a, almost a, a hexagon, um, of a, of a machine. And, and I have them on my app. It's hard to describe them, but basically when you do a traditional deadlift with a straight bar, you're putting a tremendous amount of load into your sacrum and to your sacroiliac joint. And so because there's that inherent tightness in a cyclist in the SI joint, um, I find the straight bar deadlift to be a little dangerous. And so we, we like to load, um, the deadlift via the hex bar. I, even somebody who doesn't have very good postural control can do a hex bar deadlift beautifully because it just tracks that the force is distributed through the skeleton so nicely um, there's not a lot of control needed. So hex bar deadlift is probably my favorite one. Um, the second thing, obviously we do a lot of back lunges because it mimics a single leg squat. Um, and you can load that a little bit heavier. We also do a lot of single leg squatting, but in the context of pure strength training, um, a single leg squat to me would be more about neurological control and muscle balance than it would be about pure strength. So Single leg squatting in a Bulgarian split squat is probably one of my favorite ones as well. And I'll, the external load that we would use for that would be dumbbells. Um, and we could go uh, double arm dumbbells, or we could go same side load dumbbells, which would be easier for the athlete to control. Or we could add that offset dumbbell uh, with a Bulgarian split squat. And to describe that, um, you would be in a split stance, right foot in front of left. And your, your left, your back foot would be slightly elevated. And I think sometimes people elevate that back foot maybe just a little bit too much, a little bit too extreme. Um, obviously, it mimics hip extension in, in the running. So we want to have some elevation of that back leg, but not too much. So I think 10 to 12 inches is pretty awesome for a runner. 
and then add that external load using dumbbells. So just to wrap that up really quick, I love hex bar deadlifts. I love back lunges. Um, I love single leg squats, but I wouldn't put them into this strength category. And I, I really do like Bulgarian split squat. Brilliant. So there's plenty now to get started with for, for the listeners. One one final thing that I want to ask is you mentioned a little bit about people emailing you and asking like which program to choose and so on. And uh, of course, this is something that, that as anything, it, it is individual and there's no uh, one size fits all ideal program, although there are fa- some things that are generally applicable to, to most triathletes. But what would your take be on, on this? How much... Uh, of the strength, stability, mobility uh, questions that and topics we discussed can be generally uh, taken by any triathlete, uh, and how much should they maybe go and get an assessment with with a strength coach like yourself, or even a physical therapist, or somebody like that? You know, it's that's such a good question. I I think the the unraveling of the the endurance body or the the triathlon body specifically, because I will say it's much easier for me to work with runners, pure runners, than triathletes. Triathletes are tough because the bicycle, because of the three different sports, and the bike specifically, because we love our bikes. But what it does to our hips as it relates to running, I think most of us have to deal with that same unraveling. So. I think the mobility, I feel very confident that almost any athlete, um, with the exception of perhaps somebody who, who has some really specific um, skeletal uh, formations within their hips or even within their upper back, um, I think any triathlete would feel much better and have access to what they already have using any of my plans. I think once they've got through, so we have in-season training volume one and in-season training volume two. I think once someone has gone through both of those programs, that's the perfect time and they're healthy and they feel good. Then I think that's the time to get that next assessment and say, now I really want to dial in my details. Now I want to find out more about how I personally and what I personally need to get better because that answer, like you just said, is, is different for everyone. So I think the most important thing is to be healthy and pain-free and there's not a huge percentage of people who can say that. So people think they have tight hamstrings. It's very easy to challenge that concept. They probably don't have tight hamstrings. They probably have overworked hamstrings. Um, they have overstretched hamstrings and we need to get those hips mobile so that we can just bring more balance into the system. So the programs that I've created are, are they work really well for people who have um, a strong coach in their life, or they have a strong uh, understanding of volume and intensity in their sport. Uh, if somebody is under training and maybe just following a plan that isn't challenging them enough, and they look to their gym work to be more challenging and hard and beat me up a little bit in the gym, why aren't I sore? Then those are probably not the athletes that will benefit the most from my plans. Uh, My plans work really well from people who have good guidance in their sport-specific training and need that unraveling a little bit. Mm, Got it. Uh, That makes, makes sense. So can you summarize in just a few quick sentences how the listeners should now 
go and take action on on what we've been discussing today? What would be the next steps? Yeah, I think it starts with getting to know yourself. I think when you do a little self-assessment, and I'm not talking about the specifics of how do my ankles work. I think when I, you know, I'm I'm an age grouper and I'm a competitive age grouper. Um, I want to qualify for the world championships. And, and when I look at my why, what why do I do triathlon? Um, I want to age really well. I'm pretty sure just based on my genetics and I'm pretty sure based on um, how I live my life that I'm going to live a long life. Um, minus some crazy stuff happening, but I'm going to live a long life and I, and I want to live well and I want to live strong and I want to have good friends and I want to feel good. So those reasons for me are very strong and, and they make me get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a swim and then spend 30 minutes in the gym afterwards because the hormonal benefits, and we didn't even really talk about that today, but the hormonal benefits of strength and conditioning far outweigh um, the downside, um, you know, hormones make us happy. Hormones make us resilient. I'll say it. Hormones make us sexy and feel sexy. Um, it's very difficult to get those feelings, um, and that kind of overload from swim, bike, run. I think that the, um, I think that the strength component can be a a really good strategy to keep you happy and healthy. Um, I know I'm at my worst when I have pain. Um, it can help eliminate pain in, in all these sports. Uh, most of my friends do sports. If I'm injured and have plantar fasciitis or a pulled hamstring or a high hamstring injury or my neck hurts, I'm, I'm not as good a friend. Um, so I think understanding your why and what drives you can really help motivate you to seek out uh, a more complete program. And uh, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of professional triathletes and professional runners. Um, but the lessons that can trickle down to the age groupers and to the recreational triathletes and runners, um, have been really invaluable and having this technology around the app, um, that I have the EC fit Boulder app, um, has allowed me to make friends all over the world and help people and impact people all over the world. So I'm pretty partial to the openness and the philosophical, um, fluidity that I have. I'm not judgmental or, or rigid. Um, you know, I, I say, I, I feel very positively about most things. Uh, I feel I, I'll probably challenge some people in the CrossFit world that that might not be the best intensity, um, or time spent for a triathlete in the in season. Um, and it might be a little dangerous in the off season, but I just know how much we love what we all do. And that's why people are taking the time to listen to our podcast today. Um, so I think identifying the why, why you're doing it and, and, and just, is it well-rounded and, and hopefully we've provided a nice solution and a really easy, accessible mode of communication where people all over the world can train just like Timothy O'Donnell and Marinda Carfrey and Flora Duffy and Paula Finley and, um, a lot of other people too. So, so we're, we're, we're happy to, to share all, all that we know. Good. And and speaking about that hormonal benefit, oh. is uh, would you say that it's uh, particularly useful for for older athletes to to get into the gym to to get that hormonal benefit or uh, what's your take on that? Yes. <laughs> A capital Y, capital E, capital S. If if uh, you know, we can't get away with 
what we used to get away with, even good athletes. Um, when we, when you're 20, you don't, you know, you can take it or leave it a little bit. You know, when you're in your thirties, you're just thriving. When you're getting into your forties, things are starting to shift. And sometimes it's just a change in tissue that's changing. It's changing not because you're of anything other than nature. So we've got to fight that. And yes, older athletes who are not strength training, um, you know, we're ju- they're just getting more and they're losing their posture. Um, they're just, yeah, you, 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 Mikhail, we could do a whole nother segment on hormone, hormones and lifting we, and, we could. and endurance <laughs> yeah, I was sports. Thinking, <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was immediately thinking that when, when he, when he mentioned the word, <laughs> that's, that's because episode. the, the upside is so good, right? It's, it's just so good. It just, everyone feels better. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, wrap it up with some rapid-fire questions. Uh, answer these in 15 seconds or less, starting with what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or strength training? Right now, I'm a big fan of Jay Deshari and his book, Anatomy for Runners. It, it is just a great book because so many people decide that they're going to rest uh, an injury or rest something that's painful. And they think through rest, it should just get better. And Jay challenges that a lot in his book, um, Anatomy for Runners, um, in that not all injuries and pain should be rested. Some should be moved and challenged in order to get them better. Um, Honest answer, I I haven't had the chance to listen to a a lot of podcasts, but I I definitely um, love where you're coming from. So my my time is, I'm super busy. I own a club here in Boulder. and I'm trying to train and <laughs> trying to work for everybody. You, you, so you can put you can put the podcast on the speaker system. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's wonderful. But I'm a big reader. I read a lot. And um, Jay Deshari's book is probably my favorite right now. Yeah, it, it's a great one. Have you have you read his uh, new one, Running Rewired? No, it's a good. You know, I've overviewed it. I can't say that it's my favorite yet because I haven't really spent as much time uh, as I've needed. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't read that one either, but uh, I want to get my hands on that. Yeah. Okay, next one. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? The best that I've got two. One is going to be that hex bar that we spoke of earlier because it's just so I just it's just so clean and easy for people to do. The second tool, um, and I'll be featuring these in the coming months in my app, and I don't have any exercises in there right now with it. Is the Viper um, by the Institute of Motion. And it's a, it's a tube. Uh, it's about three feet long. It's about eight inches in diameter and it comes in different weights and we use it as a mobility tool, a stability tool and a strength tool. So I'm working on a deal with, uh, Michelle Dahlcourt right now, one of my mentors, and we're trying to make those available. So just look for a three foot tube, eight inches in diameter and different weights. And it's a great tool. It's called a Viper. Interesting. And uh, finally, what's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Oh, the relentless pursuit to help people. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me is I truly live to serve. Um, I'm a lifelong student. I, I have so much respect for the work that people have done to help us as humans enjoy our lives. Um, I, I, I own a beautiful health and conditioning facility here in Boulder, Colorado, but I would not own that club. I would not own this club if I couldn't spend time with my hands-on people and training people, 
Um, I absolutely, I get up in the middle of the night and watch, uh, Iron Man cans to see how Tim and Rennie are doing. Uh, I, I get up in the middle of the night to watch tons of athletes, age groupers, um, just follow through. And I, I know that if they're hitting their numbers, that they're feeling good. And I, I just take so much pride in, in taking maybe a small piece of credit for them feeling good. So I really enjoy, um, helping people. Great answer. So if people want to get helped by you, where can they find you on, on the internet and, and elsewhere? Well, I'm all, I'm all over the social media. I'm really enjoying Instagram. So that's EC fit Boulder. Um, I definitely have a web, uh, web page, ecfitboulder.com, and that shows where all the programs are, um, and what's coming. Um, I've got, I'm going to Vail, Colorado this weekend to do some training and create some more programs. Uh, I've got uh, one coming up with Tim O'Donnell because I did recognize that most of my programs, uh, that I've written are, are with women. So I'm going to do a, a plan with Timmy. And we'll get uh, a little bit more of a va- of a male perspective in the gym versus Rennie, who's obviously an impressive athlete, but not as relevant perhaps to a, a gentleman in his 40s or 50s. Um, Flora Duffy and I are going to do a program together. Flora won the world championships with ITU last year, and she's excited to share what we do in the gym together um, with a lot of people. So the app um, is available through the app store and there's some demo programs on there and there's going to be some more education on there. And it's just my conduit to the world. So the EC fit Boulder app is available in the app store. Brilliant. Okay. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes and in the episode <laughs> description. So, so people can, can check that out. But uh, for now, uh, thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the show. It was a, a real pleasure having you. It was just a pleasure. Thank you. So some of my key takeaways from this interview with Erin. First, you heard her talk about free speed. And that's really what this can be for you. And especially if you're not doing anything in terms of mobility, stability and strength, you're probably better off maybe skipping a run session, for example, and introducing some strength and conditioning instead And that will be a better return on investment. It uh, will help you get faster, more so than the extra running will do. I'm a firm believer, just like Erin is, in the importance of strength and conditioning. And uh, these uh, stability, mobility and uh, strength elements all need to be in place for optimal performance and to maximize what you can get out of your body. And that's why the term free speed it may not be free, but uh, I, I think that we can all agree that that for many triathletes, it's it's much cheaper speed than putting in long, long additional hours with a lot of injury risk of additional running, but also cycling and, and swimming, of course. It's not just running that this uh, relates to. The second is uh, in terms of exercise economy, and this is very much related to uh, the last last week's episode on the podcast on uh, running form, running technique, and how it relates to running performance and running economy. And exercise economy in general, we can definitely extrapolate this to cycling and swimming as well. But running makes a good example. If you do these things, then the reason that you may potentially be getting faster is that this has been proven many, many times to improve running economy. 
And there are plenty of examples as for why in uh, last week's episode, so definitely go and listen to that if you haven't already. And finally, the final key takeaway, because I think this is something that a lot of triathletes have problems with, and especially probably once once you get to the 40 or 50 plus age range, but even earlier, especially these days with our jobs being uh, very much sitting at a desk, not moving very much, mobility. And uh, Erin mentioned that the most important parts would be the ankles, hips and shoulders. And she said that for any triathlete, the hips uh, is really what you need to be working on or almost any triathlete could have better hip mobility so that's something that that i think that you can take away and start working on that hip mobility immediately uh, i do this myself quite a lot uh, the hips is really what i focus on the most in my mobility work if you want a bit of a related reading to this instead of listening for once i do have a really long blog post with all the science and the practical application of strength training so it goes into the strength component not so much the mobility and stability a little bit but it's mostly the strength and i'll link to that in the show notes and in the episode description you can also find it on by going directly to scientifictriathlon.com from the pop down what's it called drop down menu popular topics select the topic strength training and there you can find it down at the bottom of the page. It's uh, it's a big long blog post, but it's a uh, very interesting reading for anybody who wants to understand why they should be doing strength training and what type of strength training they should be doing. Also, remember to check out the Easy Fit Boulder app on the App Store or Google Play Store. I'll link to them as well in the show notes and in the episode description. So that way you can check out the demo programs that Erin had there. And if you're interested in getting more specifics, you can buy one of her programs. Also, I want to remind you of the training camp that I'm hosting in the Algarve in the southern Portugal on the 20th to 27th of October 2018. The registration is now open. It's linked to as well in the show notes and in the episode description. And you can find it on scientifictriathlon.com as well to read more. And remember that there's a podcast listener discount. Finally, big, big thanks to our sponsors. Roka is our sponsor for today. And as an example of their state-of-the-art product technology, let's talk a little bit about their Maverick line of wetsuits, which I absolutely love. It's by far the fastest wetsuit I've ever tried. And if one thing that sets it apart, uh, perhaps the most when uh, you compare to other wetsuits, is that when you lay it flat, the neutral position for the arms is actually above the shoulders and not down at the hips in a normal t-shirt pattern. And this makes such a big difference in how it feels to swim in it and uh, consequently how fast you swim. And similar innovations can be found all across Roka's product lines. So that that's just, I, I think it illustrates really well what uh, Roka does with all their products and why they are actually that fast and uh, that great for triathletes and you are lucky because you can get 20% off your entire order of Roka products on roka.com that's r-o-k-a.com check out their wetsuits apparel sunglasses uh, and use the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps for that 20% discount and quick heads up as well 
Roka is uh, going to roll out UK delivery, or I should say UK uh, UK distribution, UK retail. Of course, you can go to roka.com and click through to the global site and order immediately. But uh, in the pretty near future, during this summer, I believe Roka will also have direct distribution through the UK. Thank you also to Precision Hydration. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a recent study called Effects of Oral Salt Supplementation on Physical Performance During a Half Ironman Randomized Controlled Trial. And in that study, they looked at the fluid and sodium intake during a hot half Ironman, and the athletes who took in more sodium tended to lose less percentage of their body weight than the control group who took a placebo, also, the group that took the sodium in, and this is perhaps the more important and uh, more beneficial for you, they outperformed those taking the placebo by an average of 26 minutes. So, just a little bit for a half Ironman. If you want to learn more about how to fuel and hydrate, especially your half Ironman and full Ironman, especially in hot conditions, then you need to check out the Precision Hydration blog on precisionhydration.com. And remember to use the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box of pH product for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>